helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Welcome to this week's show. My name is Melissa Waggett, and I am so happy that you've decided to join us this week for our episode of the Life Transformation Show. As usual, we have an exciting topic lined up for you. This one's going to be really fun, I think. We're going to be putting on a bit of our imagination caps and reimagining a pretty common story that many of us probably grew up on, learned in Sunday school, but I can guarantee you, you've never thought to look at it this way. And we're going to be looking at uh, the story of the prodigal son. But as I said, we're going to be looking at it in a different way than you're probably used to. So stay tuned. I'm excited to walk you through this story. And for those of you who join us each and every week, we want to welcome you back. You will not be surprised who's with me in studio. So with me today, I'm excited to introduce an award-winning psychotherapist who's located here in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. He is the director of Elam Counseling Ministries. He is my co-host on this radio show each and every week. And he is a psychotherapist who is registered with the College of Registered Psychotherapists of Ontario. After all that, I would love to introduce to you Michael Hart, who is with me in studio and is going to examine this topic of the prodigal son with me this week. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Melissa, for that wonderful introduction. And yes, I am excited as well to do this story of the prodigal son reinvented. We have called this show The Narcissistic Prodigal Son. And what we are going to be doing is to look at this story, look at five ways in which the story of the prodigal son would be different if this son, this younger son, was a full-blown narcissist. And these five things that we're going to be talking about today is not just found in father-son relationship, but in any kind of relationship in which you're dealing with a narcissist. Whether it's a couple's relationship, a brother-sister relationship, a relationship between two sisters, an employee and an employer relationship, you will find these five things in the dynamics between uh, a person who is a narcissist and the other person who is being codependent. And so before we get into the meat of today's show, there's a special announcement you wanted to remind our listeners of, and that's our upcoming retreat. We've spoken about it a few times over the past couple of weeks, but you wanted to give us a reminder because the date is coming up about how listeners can get involved with this exciting event and where they can get more information. Yes, people have begun to register for the healing retreat that we have coming up on day from the 8th to the 10th of June at Providence Point in Lanark. And this will be a weekend, a weekend getaway in which you can focus on your life and the things in your life that you want to overcome. Like we've seen miracles every time we hold these retreats. And so it's for anyone that maybe want to get over past generational uh, patterns that have been plaguing them or maybe addiction. Maybe the, it's someone who is dealing with a difficulty forgiving someone uh, that has hurt them. Whatever it is, whatever the emotional pain is, this retreat is for you. So if you want to find out more about this retreat, you can go to our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can call us at one 844 
1-800-273-3546. And remember, do not wait until May to register because last year it was full before the May before May set in. So register now if you'd like to be one of the 12 guests who will be at this healing retreat. So we hope to see you there. Again, check out our website or give us a call for more information. So, Michael, we're taking our cue a bit from Jesus this week in terms of how we're presenting today's show. And we're um, using the the modality of using a parable and right. really trying to paint that picture because Jesus used that when he taught. And Absolutely. it really helped people understand concepts that may be unfamiliar. So, we're literally taking one of his parables and right. twisting it a bit mm-hmm. to hopefully paint a picture for um, our listeners about this narcissistic relationship yes, and what I, it could look like. Yes, and I think it's so important because people learn it by word picture. And I think we could just talk about narcissism in general, giving you the textbook uh, definition of narcissist. But I think using this story of the prodigal son and what it would look like if the son was a full-blown narcissist is a very interesting and and unique way of doing it. Because by doing so, you're going to be able to pinpoint if you're with a narcissist in your relationship, you're going to say, speak. it seems as if Michael and Melissa is talking about me. That's exactly what's going on in my marriage. Or that's exactly what's going on with uh, a family member. And so I, th- I would say it's a lot of people's eyes are going to be opened today by us using this story in this creative way. And so, as I said, many of us probably grew up on this tradition, the real story of the prodigal son and yes. had it probably taught to us in Sunday school or in our family devotions. But for those of you who want a bit of a refresher, we encourage you to get your Bibles out now, follow along with us, and you can look it up in Luke 15. Chapter 15, verse 11, to re-familiarize yourself with the original story, because we're going to be doing a lot of compare and contrast uh, between what's originally in Scripture and what this this picture would look like if the son was a narcissist. Yes. And I, I think for those of you who are not familiar with the story, I'll just do a quick recap in what the story is about. It's about a younger son who had a very wealthy father, and he realized that he was going to have a, a huge inheritance when his father passed away. He was the younger of two sons. And he uh, stepped above the tradition or went above, above the tradition that existed in his time for the older son to be, to be the first to in line for the inheritance and ask his father for his portion of the inheritance even before the father was dead. So you know this son was very couldn't wait for his father to die. It was taking too long. Maybe he was living into his 90s. We don't know the age of the the father, but he decided that, you know, I want my inheritance now. So he asked for his part of the family fortune, and he went away into a far country and started partying up and having, uh, you know, a a lot of uh, fun and excitement with the money that he got from his father. And as the Bible explains that he was into riotous living, meaning he was really living a very wild party lifestyle. If it was today, he would probably be drunk every night and maybe high on several types of drugs. But the story went on to say that at a certain point, he ran out of money and he began to feed himself with the pig food and the pig farm that he was working at. This was how desperate he was. And I think eventually the 
people that he was working for realized that he was eating the pig food and they decided not to give him anything and in in at a point of desperation he came to himself and he said that he was going to go back home so the bible says i just read from verse 16 of luke chapter 15 verse 16 and following reads he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here i am starving to death i will set out and go back to my father and say to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you i am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants so he got up and went to his father so the story continues to say that after that point he went back to his father his father was very happy to have him back held a big party and celebrated the son's return but today as we said melissa we're going to be creative and we're going to talk about how if this son was really a narcissist how this story might have been different if he was a narcissist and the father was a codependent the differences that you would see in this story so first off i'm wondering if you can paint a picture for us what a narcissist looks like what kind of qualities do they have if you're doing a counseling session what kind of things are going through your minds as a counselor to say oh i think this person has many qualities of a narcissist what kind of checklist basically are you going through in your head well in a nutshell there are about nine qualities that they diagnostic diagnosis and and statistical manual of the of mental illnesses have for people who are narcissists so to be diagnosed as a narcissist you need to have five of nine criteria and i won't go into detail about each of the criteria but in a nutshell the first criteria is people who have this sense of self importance the second criteria is people who have uh, this fantasy is about unlimited success or be preoccupied with being brilliant or beautiful. The third is someone who think that they're they're special and that they that they have this very high status and that people should basically uh, salute them. Uh, the fourth is that these people require excessive admiration. Five is that they have a sense of entitlement. These people have, you know, feel that they're entitled and they behave in ways that make you feel as if you owe them something. The six is that this person exploits and take advantage of others for their own ends. Seven, and this is one of the hallmarks of narcissism, is that people who are narcissists, they lack empathy. They're unable to feel the pain of others. Eight talks about they're usually the envious of others or believe that others are envious of them. And the ninth and final criteria is that they, 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 they are very arrogant and behave in very, very prideful ways. So to be a narcissist, you don't need to have all, but uh, five or more of these criterias according to the, what do you call the, the, the DSM uh Five, which it is now version five of the the manual, states that 
five or more of these qualities would make you qualified to be a narcissist. So as you're describing them, I know we're having a bit of fun today, but you, as you were saying some of those, they were reminding me of the story a bit where I was thinking, hmm, Michael, I know we're saying if he was a narcissist, but some of the things I'm thinking, sense of entitlement, like as you say, he jumped the, the social cue to get his inheritance above time. Uh, lack of empathy, mm-hmm. like walking up to your parent and saying, hey, I'm sorry you're not dead yet, <laughs> but I want my inheritance now. Like he, he, to me, that shows me maybe he's not considering how that would maybe make his dad feel yes. of, sorry, I'm, you're around, but I need to get out of here. And by the way, give me my money. Yes. Being arrogant. Again, like you're, you're jumping social norms. You're telling your older brother, I don't care about you, dad. I don't care about these social. So like, as much as you, you, we've painted this as an if picture, but there's a lot of things that I'm thinking, hmm, maybe he was. Am I wrong? I think you're right, Melissa, and that's such a very good point because I think the son displays some narcissistic tendencies for sure. But there's one part of the story in the Bible that makes me feel he's not a full-blown narcissist. And that's the part that we read when he said he's going to go back to his father, and he's going to say to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So to me, that part of the story shows that he has some capacity for empathy. When he's saying, I have sinned against my father, for a narcissist, it's very, very hard to come to that place where they can say, you know, I've done something wrong against you and actually go and say it uh, to the person. And so I think that to me makes me feel that although he had narcissistic tendencies, he may not have qualified to be diagnosed as a narcissist if he was being diagnosed today by psychologists. Okay, I'm going to get you to explore that thought more and probably (laughs) some other differences in this story. But before I get you to discuss that, I do want to welcome listeners who may have joined us partway through this show. Today, you are... We are, Michael and I are discussing the narcissistic prodigal son. We're taking a bit of um, liberties with this common biblical story, very well loved and beloved. And we're we're trying to look at it as if this this individual was narcissistic. If you missed the first half of today's show, we encourage you to listen to it on our website at elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can call us at one 544 3546 to get a copy of today's show. And Michael, you did want to remind listeners again who may have just joined us about our upcoming healing retreat. Yes, we have our healing retreat that's coming up on the weekend of the 8th to the 10th of June, and it's at Lanark, just about an hour or so outside of Ottawa. Uh, Lanark, uh, this place called Providence Point, it's a beautiful place underwater. It's a nice place to get away and to reflect spiritually and to deal with issues. And so we're going to have this weekend. It's a it's a spiritual retreat. And so there's going to be a lot of time being immersed in, in spiritual exercises. But it's also a retreat where we are going to be utilizing uh, uh, ways of practical ways of helping people to overcome obstacles and challenges 
in their lives. So if you have not registered as yet, give us a call at one eight seven seven five four four three five four six, or go to our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. And space is very limited, so if you would like to join us, give us a call today. So Michael, we you were just in the process of describing why, though when you told the story, I did say this this prodigal son sounded a little bit narcissistic based upon the diagnostic criteria you gave out. But because of how he responded in terms of his apology, you sh- you said that that showed a lot of empathy. Yes. And the fact that he could go to his dad, look him in the eye, and with humility say, I messed up. Yes, the fact that he was willing to do that. Exactly. Yes. Are there other differences you see in this story that shows us that he wasn't a narcissist. Right. So we're, we're trying to run with this story a little bit and we're looking at what what it would look like mm-hmm. if he were a full-blown narcissist. So I think one of the, 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 the first difference that you would notice if this son was a full-blown narcissist is that he would blame the father for making him leave in the first place. Yeah, so that apology would probably look different, yes, right? Yes, it, it would look different. So narcissists, when they uh, have made mistakes or they have made decisions instead of coming back to you and saying you know father or you know my husband i'm so sorry for what i have done to you it would be like you didn't love me enough you know if you had loved me enough if you made me feel like a son i wouldn't want to leave in the first place and in a lot of times it's just excuses it's what it's a technique with narcissists that we call gaslighting they're blurring the lines between fiction and reality so if you're not a strong person and you're in a relationship with this you will start blaming yourself and maybe start feeling that you have somehow done something wrong so he would turn around and blame the father for making him wanting to leave in the first place the fact that the prodigal son didn't do that in the actual story make me feel that he wasn't a full-blown narcissist okay so if he was putting his narcissist hat on again he's coming back to see his dad what kind of behaviors would you see aside him blaming his dad yes another thing that i noticed from the story melissa is that when he decided that he wanted to go back he said something that was very profound and something that i find that is lacking in a lot of uh cases that i have seen where people have narcissistic spouses or narcissistic children in that these children display a sense of entitlement when they realize that they have made mistake. So in the story of the prodigal son, we see the prodigal son going back. And in the Bible, we are told that he's saying, take me back as a hired servant. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. If he was a full-blown narcissist, the Bible would read something like this. Take me back. I am your son and I deserve to be with you. You can't abandon me because I am your blood and you have to take me back, right? So narcissists, when they mess up, they come back and they, they, they have this sense of entitlement. For a husband, it might, see, it might sound like, the Bible say you can't divorce me. 
right? I know I have messed up, but I am coming back after being with all of these women. And you have to take me back because the Bible is against divorce. And I'm not speaking for or against divorce in any way, but I'm just saying that those kind of statements show a sense of entitlement and the sense that there is not true remorse. And so if this prodigal son was narcissistic, this would be, this scriptures would have been different in how he wanted to go back to his father. Yeah. And I think it acknowledges there's a potential for that change in relationship where he, as you say, he wasn't assuming he was going to go back to the same station or the privileges he had, right. which I think really paints a good picture there. What other things would he have done if he was narcissistic? The narcissist would probably blame others outside the family for his mistakes. So instead of coming back and saying, you know what, I have blown all of this money, I have wasted the things that I have, the, the story would would read him blaming the pig farmer for his ordeal. I can't believe he's doing this to me. Here I am, I'm suffering, I have no food to eat, and he's not giving me anything to eat. Or he would blame it on his friends. You know, I can't believe all of these friends uh, uh, let me spend money on them, and now, now that I'm in need, they're gone. So narcissist has this way of not taking responsibility. So if you're in a relationship with someone and it's evident to you or it's evident to others around you that they have made mistakes, they have they have dug a hole for themselves and they're suffering and they're in the hole that they have dug for themselves. But instead of saying, I am responsible for where I am and I'm going to take responsibility for that, they, they point a finger at others around them and everything. They blame the government, they blame the system, they blame the church, they blame everyone except themselves. So I think if this son in the product in the store of the prodigal son was a true blown narcissist, the story would have read differently. You would see a lot of blame coming to other people around him and him not taking responsibility for his action. But the Bible told us that he took responsibility for his action. He came to his senses and say, I have done this. I have to go back and apologize for where for for what I have done to to myself and for and to others. And I want to pick up on that sense of apology. We referenced it a little bit in our discussion right. so far. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if he was a narcissist, if you could paint a picture of what that apology could look like or would look like. And why is it different than how we see it laid out in the Bible? Yes, the, the story, the apology in the Bible is very, very profound, right? It's 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 the the the, the father the Jesus in telling this story paints a very vivid picture and give in detail what the apology looks like. He, he, he talks about that he will arise and he will go to his father and he'll say to his father, I'm not worthy to be taken back as a son. Take me back as a higher servant. He talks about sinning against heaven, against God, and against the Father. With a, with a narcissist, apologies are usually very, very vague. And if you blink, you will miss it. Right, and you will go away thinking, "Did he really? Was that really an apology, or was this somehow blaming me for it?" So I have had uh, sessions with people who will say, "Yes, you know, my my husband came back, and I think he apologized, but I'm not sure." And I'll say to you, 
I'll say to you, what makes you th- think you apologize? What, what's the apology? And say, okay, I have it here on my text. He texts me the apology. And we'll read through it and we say, when you read that, does it really sound like an apology? Where is the, I am sorry, I'm not worthy to be taken back as your husband? And as we go through the apology, the so-called apology with the husband and what the scripture says, you realize that it's not really an apology in the first place. And sometimes, don't you, sometimes get in that, that situation too where not only is the apology vague it didn't happen but then they'll try to make you think that it did happen right like i already apologized for that why are you on me again and you're like a when did it happen i don't think it happened but again that gaslighting you talked about earlier gets you in that mind trap of i'm now apologizing because i've made you feel like you need to apologize again and it's like how did we get here yes that's such a good point melissa if you're in a relationship with someone and they do something wrong and then you turn around being the one apologizing for being angry at them or apologizing that you missed the apology that that they told you that they did that you didn't really remember then it's quite possible that you're dealing with a narcissist because narcissists will twist reality so that uh, what we call gaslighting so that you you end up uh, behaving in ways saying sorry to them after they have hurt you and so finally in terms of the hypothetical story how would we see the interaction between him and his father if he was a true narcissist we've described a little bit about how that apology went down but in detail can you show us what that would look like if he was really narcissistic yes so in the story we find that he seemed to have had empathy to the father right where he said he, he has sinned against the father not only against God but I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against thee. And so the fact that he's able to say that, I think, shows that there is this capacity for empathy. And it's this capacity for empathy that is often missing in narcissistic relationship, that they they will want to come back. They will want all the privileges of having a restored relationship without the apology, without the empathy. And and uh, it, it can become very difficult to have relationships with people like that because you're wrestling with the fact that God says that you need to forgive and and at the same time, you don't want to be walked over. And so you're thinking, do I take this person back into my life? Am I truly, have I truly forgiven if I take back this person who has no empathy, who wasn't sure that they are sorry? So uh, I don't have time to go into it here, but if you have missed our show on, the f- on forgiveness, I would say listen to it because it, it talks very clearly about what forgiveness is. And you, forgiveness and reconciliation is not the same thing. This father can can forgive the prodigal son, but if he was fully narcissist and showed no empathy and bl- and was blaming the father for his action, the father would not have to take him back. I think that's a really good point, and I, I, it alludes to our next week's show. We're actually going to look at the father in this story. Yes. That what that relationship, if he was codependent with this narcissistic son, yes. would look like. Because you do get in that dance of how the father is interacting and sometimes maybe 
facilitating that behavior. Yes, yes. And not making those boundaries. Absolutely. So I'm so excited about next week's show, Melissa and MC, that we are fully out of time for today. But if you have missed the first part of this show, you can get it by going to our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. So stay tuned for next week's show when we'll be talking about the, the codependent father of the prodigal son, what that would look like if the father in the biblical story was codependent. And I'm going to be covering five things that would be different in the biblical story if the father was codependent. And I want to remind you before we wrap up today of the retreat that we'll be having on the 8th to the 10th of June uh, at Lanark, Providence Point in Lanark. And it's a healing retreat. So if you are dealing with any emotional issues, mental health challenges, maybe relationship issues, anything that you need to work through and you need to have uh, to immerse yourself in a way that you can become healthier and have a better chance of overcoming these obstacles. Give us a call at one 877 or go to our website to register at elimcounselingministry.com E-L-I-M counseling with two L's ministry.com And I want to thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Radio Show. And I look forward to doing the second part of this show that we started today, that we were going to be looking at the father if he was narcissistic, uh, taken using the story of the prodigal son. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services. And Melissa Waggett. Praying together that God would bless you in all your relationships and to keep you sound in mind and pure in heart. <laughs>